Welcome to the Highly Spirited Podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie McNew. I love cocktails and I love the macabre. So every week I'm bringing you a cocktail recipe in history and some ghost stories. So let's get ready to get lit and get scared. Hello and welcome back. It's been a wildly busy week. Last weekend we went to an art fair and I got the cutest little witch print for Halloween. I wasn't going to buy anything at this fair. I told my husband, oh, let's just go walk through. Let's just go see what there is. But you know what? I couldn't live without her. And we all knew that was going to be a lie anyways. I always have to buy something everywhere we go. But it's this cute little witch print. She's on this wooden plaque. And I cannot wait to put her out for Halloween this year. And then after that, I had a tattoo schedule that I like kind of forgot about. But you know, it was in my calendar. It popped up. I was like, oh shit, I got to go. But now I have a cute little spider. It's above my elbow on my arm. It turned out really nice, actually, for being a flash sale. So she did like American traditional tattoos for $40, like for the 4th of July special. And as long as she got it done in July, it was good to go. So it's actually huge. I expected it to be quite a bit smaller, but it's not. (laughs) And I want to apologize for my voice right now. Like Monday morning, I woke up with the worst sinus infection and I'm still kind of recovering from that. So if I sound raspy or weird, that is why. And I do apologize. But after I got my tattoo, we had my baby neighbor's birthday party. So we checked that out. Like Saturday was just busy, like sun up to sundown. We were busy all day Saturday. And then Sunday, I decided to do some yard work and I pulled all the weeds out of the front. It, guys, it was looking so rough. It looked horrible out there. So I got that and I found some new evergreen trees. They're so little. I was hoping they're going to be big enough by Halloween or Christmas to put lights on because I have like orange Halloween lights I like to use. I don't know if they're going to be big enough by then, but hopefully they're big enough for Christmas lights. We'll see. And this might be why I have a sinus infection because I was pulling weeds and like I'm allergic to everything. So I really don't know what I did to ourselves. (laughs) I also cleaned out our pool Sunday and it was like kind of turning into a science experiment. I don't know how people keep their pools clean. I have shocked it probably way too much. I think I did too much chemicals and that's why it looks awful. And then this weekend I had my first vendor event for my candles. So I started making spooky candles. I wasn't supposed to have one till next weekend, but this one came up. So I thought, why not? Let's do a dry run. Let's see how it goes. So I've been busy as hell this week. You guys are lucky you're even getting a podcast this week with everything I've had going on. And I haven't missed a week yet, so I still want to be consistent. So this week we are diving into haunted Arizona, a state I very much try to convince my husband we should just move to. I am over Midwestern winners. I just want to be in the sunshine year round. And I think Arizona looks perfect. It's not humid like Florida. We don't have the alligators. They don't have the crazy people on the news like Florida does. I think Arizona, like that's the dream state. That is where I want to end up someday or at least six months out of the year. Have not convinced him yet. But anyways, we are going to get into some Arizona ghosts. And then we have to have a cocktail first. And obviously it's going to be a tequila sunrise. And I've been on a tequila kick quite a bit lately myself. Like, I'm a bourbon girl through and through, but it's been a little too hot for bourbon. It was 102 degrees last weekend, so it is definitely tequila time. I'm usually going with something like a margarita or a ranch water because they're refreshing. Orange juice isn't really my thing, so tequila sunrises aren't really my thing, but we're going to get into them anyways. The tequila sunrise we know today isn't always what it's been. We know it as tequila, orange juice, and a splash of grenadine. But the original tequila sunrise was created in the 1930s at the Arizona Biltmore Hotel by Gene Sullet. It consisted of tequila, cream de casas, lime juice, and soda water. And that one actually sounds really good to me. That sounds 
better. It didn't have the sunrise appearance, though, as the one we know today. So I think the name just kind of didn't stick. It may still be made today. They just might call it something different. I've never had one of those, but it does sound good to me. Creme de Cassis is like this berry flavor. So I think berry and tequila would be very interesting together. The tequila sunrise we now know was created in Sausalito, California by Bobby Lazoff and Billy Rice when they worked at a bar called the Trident in the 1970s. In 1972, the pair of bartenders were hired for a private event in, the, in San Francisco that turned out to be the kickoff party for the Rolling Stones U.S. tour that year. Mick Jagger apparently loved the Tequila Sunrise and started ordering them across the country as the tour went on. Even referring to the tour as the Cocaine and Tequila Sunrise Tour, creating even more popularity for the drink. As popularity surged, Jose Cuervo took notice and printed the recipe on the back of the bottle in 1973. That same year, the Eagles released the song Tequila Sunrise off their Desperado album. If a Tequila Sunrise is good enough for legit rock stars, then I Guess they're good enough for me, even though I'm not the biggest orange juice fan. So let's make one. You're going to need a highball glass. Even a large wine glass would work really well. It's just two ounces of Blanco tequila. I would personally just do three ounces, so that way there's less room for orange juice. That's just me personally. You do you. Then it's four ounces of orange juice or less if you use more tequila. And then it's just a half ounce of grenadine. And don't shake this, don't stir it. You're just going to pour each ingredient into the glass. The grenadine will sink to the bottom because it's heavier, and it's going to create this layered effect, making it look like a sunrise. You can garnish it with an orange wedge and a cherry if you choose to. If not, just enjoy it. I'll be right back after this quick break with some haunted Arizona stories. guys, did you know I have a new book out? It's called Drinking with the Stars, Cocktails for the Zodiac. And it's exactly what it sounds like. It is a fun little book that pairs a cocktail with each zodiac sign. So inside is a little blurb about your star sign and then the cocktail I think best pairs with it. It's really fun to go through and make these cocktails. So check it out. It's available on Amazon and I can post a link in the show notes. Cheers. And I'm back. So a while back, one of my bourbon Instagram friends told me to look up Jerome, Arizona for haunted things. And a while back, I mean, this is probably a year or so ago. I'm really slow to get things on the schedule when people suggest them. And it's usually just because I pre-plan content. Like I have stuff planned out till the end of November already. So it's not that I don't want to do the things people suggest. I sometimes just, I'm already planned out so far that they just come very late and they might've even forgot about telling me. But shout out to Robert Perez. Thank you for telling me about Jerome, Arizona. This was incredibly interesting, and it was a rabbit hole I love jumping into. Jerome, Arizona is almost halfway between Phoenix and Flagstaff. It was founded in 1876 by prospectors who came to mine copper. The town started booming and was filled with prospectors, miners, cowboys, store owners, and madams. It was referred to for a time as the wickedest town in the West and was largely funded by the United Verde Copper Company. William A. Clark, who had high stakes in United Verde, funneled money into Jerome and its mining prospects. Despite the money, it was still quite a rough place to live, which was good news for us, as it led to quite a few travesties and disasters, which led to ghosts. Let's start with the Jerome Grand Hotel, which was originally built as the United Verde Hospital in 1926. 
this hospital was built when a fault shift damaged the south wing of the old hospital. And this new one was pretty state-of-the-art for its time. It had patient call lights, emergency backup lights, sun porches. Tuberculosis was a pretty big deal. And of course, they thought sunlight helped with that. So sun porches were a very nice touch for the time. It also had separate women's, children's, and men's wards, as well as housing for some of the staff. The hospital was operated by the Phelps Dodge Mining Company until its closure in 1950. After it closed, the company hired a caretaker or would let single families move in for bits at a time to look after it and to keep the vandalism down. And that kind of gives me shining vibes, right? Like you're going to hire a caretaker to come take care of this huge building. Kind of the same thing. The last caretaker of this hospital died in the 1980s by suicide, and then the building was boarded up. The mining company sold the building in 1993 to Larry Althair, who owns and still operates it as the Grand Jerome Hotel today. Althair, who doesn't necessarily believe in spirits, stated there was definitely the feeling of a presence when they first moved in and started remodeling. It wasn't necessarily a scary presence, but yet a noticeable heavy one. He claimed it started to ease into the second month of reconstruction. Years later, two different psychics came in at different times, and they both got messages from what they called the head nurse or the nurse in charge. That was the spirit talking to them, some kind of nurse who used to be the boss nurse. And apparently she was very displeased that there were desks that had been moved. And they weren't sure what desk she meant, but both psychics were in what is now the restaurant lounge area of the hotel when they received this information. The restaurant manager later found the dispensary desks in, in storage and asked the owner if they could be used again. He said yes, and the desks were moved back in for use. The nurse hasn't seemed to complain since. Even though the hospital had closed, some patients apparently never left. Visions and feelings of their presence are still being reported, along with the sounds of coughing, moaning, and crying. One of the common reports is the cry of a newborn. Guests in the hotel will call the front desk when they hear it, and report that it's crying in the room next to them. Nobody seems to be soothing it. Can somebody please go check on it? So when the front desk goes and checks because they want to appease their guests, they know nothing's there. That room next to them is going to be empty. But once it's checked on, the crying stops. Guests still report hearing the sounds of a gurney or a cart being pushed down the hallway. If you've ever spent any time in a hospital, you know what that sounds like. Just the cart just rolling on that like tile or whatever kind of floor it is or concrete maybe they this hotel it carpeted over all those but the gurney still sounds like it was on those original floors the hotel even has a resident ghost cat the cat leaves imprints on beds where it was napping and occasionally rubs up against guests legs there's also a bearded man who no one knows his name but he's been seen making rounds and visiting rooms on each floor the former maintenance man of the hospital has been identified, though, and his name was Claude Harvey. Harvey's body was found at the bottom of the elevator shaft. The elevator was in working order, so it could be that he accidentally fell to his death or that he was pushed. His death was investigated as a homicide, but no suspects were ever named and the case was closed. Harvey's spirit hasn't left, though. He's often seen in the basement just staring at the elevator doors. He can also be heard whistling at various locations in the hotel while he's still tending to his duties in spirit form. And this wouldn't be a haunted hotel if one room wasn't more haunted than the others, would it? Every haunted hotel has one, and the Jerome Grand Hotel is no different. It is room 32 here, which has a history of at least two known suicides. 
One man leapt to his death from the balcony and the other shot himself. This room is still super active with paranormal activity with doors creaking open seemingly all on their own and faucets turning on by themselves as well. Guests who have stayed in room 32 have reported the air feeling thick and it being hard to breathe and also having an overwhelming sense of anxiety and dread. Some have even reported these anxious feelings not disappearing until after they were a few hours away. Like they checked out, they got in their cars and left. They were still anxious until they were a good two to three hours out. So what it does affect some more than others. And orbs and flashes of light, of course, have been seen in this room as well. So definitely, if you want to see activity guaranteed in the Jerome Grand Hotel, probably room 32 is where you'll want to be staying. The Grand Hotel isn't the only haunted spot in Jerome. Remember, this was the wickedest town in the West. Of course, its history has left it with more spirits lingering around. The town's community center is now referred to as Spook Hall, but it was originally dubbed Lawrence Memorial Hall, named after a contributor to the Jerome Historical Society. The hall was also a former J.C. Penney building, which makes me think I'd love to look into some haunted mall stories for a future episode. But before it was ever a community center or a J.C. Penney, the land that this building stands on used to be home to shacks for uh, working girls, and they were called cribs at the time. They were small, maybe bedroom-sized rooms that the girls did their business in. They weren't glamorous and they weren't super clean, but they were just kind of a way of life in the Wild West. At one time, it was estimated that there were over 100 prostitutes in Jerome. After all, it was a mining city, and it very much could support the sex work industry. Unfortunately, one girl was stabbed by a miner and died. It's believed she's the spirit that still haunts Spook Hall. The Mile High Inn was also home to working girls, but they were a little bit classier and better kept than the girls who lived and worked in the cribs. This was a fully run bordello with a madam. Her name was Jenny Banters. Jenny still haunts this location and is mostly found in the Lariat and Lace Room, as well as the kitchen where she likes to throw items when they're not properly put away. She also likes to rearrange furniture when its placement doesn't suit her, and she's been known to turn on the radio in the rooms right when the maids come in to clean. Her cat might also still be hanging around, and it likes to walk on the beds right after they've been freshly made, leaving its little paw prints behind. The inn also has the ghost of an older man who appears in old-timey work clothes and a felt hat. He's often spotted looking down into the alley from a window. He's also been known to slam the doors of an armoire in the kiss-and-tell room and hide pictures from the walls in it. There's also a younger man who is a bit more mischievous, and he likes to startle guests and staff. They know he's present when they feel a cold breeze come through for no apparent reason. He's often felt in the Victorian Rose Room and sometimes in the restaurant. The restaurant is pretty active with other spirits as well. Signs fly off the walls, glasses slide off the bar, tables with no one pushing them, electronics turn on and off on their own as well. There's also been reports of a woman singing and whistling in the kitchen, and it's unconfirmed if this is Jenny herself or maybe it was one of the girls, but that voice is definitely heard quite often. The Ghost City Inn lives up to its name as well, and that's worth mentioning now if I haven't already that Jerome, Arizona was known as a ghost city for a decade or two after the mines closed in the 1950s. Its population absolutely dwindled, but it was later revived by artists in the tourism industry. The Ghost City Inn was originally built as a boarding house for mine managers. When the boarding house closed down with the mines, it was purchased by the Garcia family 
and was their private residence for about 50 years. After the Garcias, the building served several different purposes, such as a restaurant, an art gallery, a spiritual retreat, and even a funeral home. So you can't tell me that a place that was used as a spiritual retreat and a funeral home doesn't have residual energy. It sure as hell does. Two spirits here are very well known. There's a lady who haunts the Cleopatra Hill room and a man who lurks in the hallway outside the Verde view room. The ghost and guest also experience all your typical hauntings of unexplained noises, door slams, and voices as well. Just a very super active building. Jerome is definitely on my to-visit list, but let's move on to Tombstone. And if you only know about Tombstone because of Doc Holliday and Wyatt Earp, that's okay. That's probably what most of us know, but let's get to know some of their ghosts as well. Tombstone was one of those wicked Wild West towns as well, known for saloons and cowboys, even brothels. So of course some shit went down here, and no doubt some of that shit left some ghosts behind. Let's start with the ever-infamous O.K. Corral, home of one of the most epic gunfights in history, the Vigilante Cowboys versus the Earps and Doc Holliday. Marshal Virgil Earp had planned to disarm the Cowboys and send them out of town on October 26, 1881. This did not go well for the Cowboys, and it resulted in a 30-second shootout, leaving Billy Clanton and Frank and Tom McLaurie dead. Ike Clanton, Billy Claiborne, and Wes Fuller were also involved for the Cowboys, but survived their injuries. Marshal Virgil Earp involved his brothers Wyatt and Morgan on his side, as well as his beloved friend Doc Holliday. The Cowboys that lost their lives in this short little battle apparently still haunt the OK Corral. Visitors have reported seeing men in old-timey cowboy attire walking around with their guns drawn, as well as feeling cold spots in various places around the area. The streets of Tombstone themselves are also haunted with various cowboys and former townspeople. Marshal Fred White was accidentally shot by the cowboy gang. Marshal White had managed to make a pretty good report with the cowboys and never had much trouble with them. They still made mischief, but they never resisted when it was him trying to arrest them. The cowboys rode through town one morning on October 28, 1880, just shooting up into the air, just causing a ruckus. Marshal White was shot in the groin accidentally by their leader, Curly Bill Brocious. He was expected to make a recovery, but ended up dying two days later from the injury. Some reports still seeing Marshall White walking the streets today, usually in front of the area where the Birdcage Theater was built the following year. Speaking of which, the Birdcage itself is also haunted. The Birdcage was a wild, raucous place that even featured cages, they called them cribs, hanging from the ceilings were painted ladies who were decorated with feathers would just be perched there as part of the entertainment. And honestly, like, let's bring that profession back. I feel like I could handle that better than sending the stupid emails I send all day. Like, decorate me like a bird, put me in a cage, just make sure to tip well. That sounds like a great job, honestly. Let's go. Let's bring that back. I'm going to open a bar and have bird girls, okay? Anyways, from 1881 to 1889, the birdcage was open 24 hours a day. That's a lot of time for things to get out of control, especially with cowboys and miners drinking and gambling around the clock. The walls were littered with stray bullet holes, and 26 people died within the building due to shootouts or arguments. Despite being a wild bar, the birdcage was a theater, and one of its stagehands has apparently never left. 
People often report seeing a man in 1800s-style striped pants wearing a visor and carrying a clipboard. He's often spotted scurrying across the stage as if he's still trying to keep the show going. Sounds of the old theater seem to spill out its doors at night, singing, cards shuffling, glasses clinking, people talking, yelling, laughing, music blaring. All of the old saloon and theater sounds you could imagine are still sometimes heard at night as if the ghosts are still having a very good time in there. Smells of cigars and whiskey also still permeate from the old theater as well. The birdcage was later bought by the Hunley family, and one of the specific haunting incidents was a dice table that weighed over several hundred pounds being pushed against a wall under a sign that read, Please do not disturb our resident 26 ghosts. And this happened at night, so when they left and closed up for the evening, because it's no longer 24 hours, it's modern times now when they own it, everything was in its place. That table's in its place, we're locking up, we're going home. They walked into this the next morning, and this isn't a tiny table. Apparently, it took eight men to move that table back to its proper place. So there's really no explanation of why is that sign there? Why did it get moved there? Except, you know, the ghosts themselves wanted to just mess with them and move the dice table around. Another incident was when a statue of Wyatt Earp was placed into one of the bird cages that were still there. Staff would routinely come in in the morning to his hat being knocked off the statue's head and on the floor. This went on for about six months until a local historian told the Hunleys that the cage that they placed the statue in was actually one that the Clantons often reserved. And as I mentioned earlier before, there was kind of some beef between the Clantons and the Earps, right? So the Hunleys moved the statue to a different cage, which was apparently the one that Wyatt Earp actually used or rented often, and then the hat was never knocked off again. So they still have that feud going on in the afterlife. Kind of love that for them. And I absolutely cannot talk about Tombstone without talking about Big Nose Kate. And truly, what an awful nickname. I looked up photos of her, and her nose really isn't all that big, which makes me feel super insecure. Like, be right back. I'm calling a plastic surgeon for mine ASAP because it's bigger than hers. (laughs) Anyways, she wasn't actually a saloon owner, but she was the partner of Doc Holliday. She often traveled with him, and that's how she ended up in Tombstone. She came with him out of Dodge City. She was well-educated, smart, smart lady, but she chose to work as a prostitute because that gave her more freedom. And it's almost like she used that as a business owner. Like she could control who she entertained. She could control her rates. She could control if she worked or not. It wasn't like being somebody's maid where you show up when they tell you to. Girl did her own thing. She kind of had that figured out. The famous Big Nose Kate Saloon in Tombstone was never actually owned by her, but it was named after her. It originated as a hotel, which was grand and luxurious for its time and location. Every room in the hotel was decorated with solid walnut furniture, chandeliers, and oil paintings. Each of the 16 rooms had a view. It was the place to stay if you wanted a bit of luxury in the Wild West. One of the resident guests was a man by the name of Swamper. It was just his nickname. He worked at the hotel as a janitor, and he lived there as well. His room was in the basement. And when he wasn't working, he managed to dig a tunnel through the wall in the basement to a nearby mine shaft. He did find some silver, like he found like a little vein of silver, and he would go in there and just mine it himself at night, and he squirreled it all away. Nobody knows what he did with this. It's never been found, but some people believe he buried the silver underneath the basement floor of that building. The hotel's Lux life was short-lived, and it was wiped out by a fire in May of 1882. It had only opened in 1880. Very, very short run for that hotel. 
The hotel was never rebuilt, but its long bar survived and it became a part of the saloon, which is now known as Big Nose Kate's. And apparently Swamper has never left the property. He shows up in photos and is quite often seen roaming the halls. Many believe his silver is still hidden somewhere on the property and his spirit is just there to protect it from being found. Staff even found one of his old tunnels and it leads to a mine. They started to climb through, then heard moaning and stomping footsteps coming down the basement stairs. No one else was in the building when these two entered the tunnel. They even got out to see if anyone had come in, but no living person was found. They fully believed that this was Swamper trying to keep them away from the mine and finding more silver, or perhaps finding the silver that he had hidden. Other ghosts in the building are largely unknown by name, but there are plenty of them. Most show up as blurs and photographs, some as disembodied voices and footsteps. Things like silverware and glasses get knocked to the floor, lights turn on and off, doors slam, all your typical ghostly things to let the living know that they are still there. All right, I'm going to wrap this one up today. I feel like I have talked forever and I have this awful sinus infection, so even breathing has been hard. My apologies for any sniffles or coughs that I forget to edit out. I know we only covered like two cities in Arizona, and I didn't even get to everything in them, honestly. I'm going to have to come back and do an Arizona part two at some point. I mean, there's way more to Jerome. There's way more to Tombstone. Phoenix, Tucson, Flagstaff, they definitely have their own ghost as well, and I haven't even got to jump into those yet. So we are definitely coming back for an Arizona part two. But until next time, please leave a like and review. Tell a friend. Cheers.